everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth, and this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. I'm praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Here we go. We are doing Genesis chapter 6 today. So I hope you're all well and let's buckle up and pray. Lord Jesus, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We ask you to speak to us now and just... Yeah, come on, settle our hearts down, speak to us, Lord, and we welcome you into our homes in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Fliss. Great to see you. Uh, So here we go. Genesis chapter 6, we have the incredible story of Noah. So we've been setting, we've been, had the scene set for us in the previous chapter with the genealogies. We talked a bit about that. If you missed yesterday, do have a listen. Um, It'll be up on YouTube shortly. It's on my podcast. Incidentally, if you want to listen to these again while you're on the go, um, do listen to my podcast and you'll get it all there. Good morning, Fran. Great to see you. So when man began to multiply on the face of of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man for ever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now, this is a challenging set of (laughs) issues in this chapter. Number one, the human race is multiplying and has kind of spread out across the earth as God intended. And they had beautiful children and the daughters were particularly lovely. And the sons of God saw them and wanted to come down and have relationships with them and take them as their wives. And this is a very, the moment you start talking about Nephilim, some people get all excited and woohoo, our favourite subject has come up. And others just switch off, their eyes glaze over and you've lost them and you kind of think, okay. (laughs) And they're thinking, here we go, will spacemen come into the earth and all the rest of it. We'll be talking conspiracy theories shortly. And they kind of just check out. So what is really being said in this passage? Because it is challenging. Uh, The general assumption is that the sons of God in this reference are 
spiritual beings, maybe angelic, maybe kind of like Elohim, but not God himself, but kind of deities. And there would be many, many cultures that um, view the kind of, have a kind of mode, uh, what's the word? Uh, oh, um, a pantheon of gods. And they have multiple different deities who they honor and worship. Hinduism, um, they have over millions of gods. But these, whoever these spiritual beings are, the, they kind of left their normal dimension, they left their normal place. And they came down, and if we look in um, some of the extra biblical texts, like the Book of Enoch, we see some interesting stuff. Jude makes reference to some very interesting things about angels leaving their kind of proper dimension and coming into th their another, sort of transgressing into another dimension that they shouldn't be in. Um, but what seems to have come as a result of these relationships between these angelic or spiritual beings and human women, it seems to be primarily, or that's the only one that gets mentioned here, is these creatures called Nephilim, who were also called giants, and they occupied the land. And it says, the Nephilim were on the earth in these days and also afterwards. So some people argue that the Nephilim, sorry, the flood, Noah, the flood of Noah, that came in the time of Noah was to eradicate the Nephilim from the face of the earth because they had um, corrupted the the uh, genetic makeup of the human being and it was not as God had intended anymore and so God sent the flood to, to eradicate them from the earth. That may be, <laughs> I don't know, I don't want to argue that, I think is an interesting point but um, these Nephilim were on the earth before the flood and after the flood. And so when the spies went into Canaan, there was some Nephilim still there and they were called the Anakim because um, they were descendants from a giant called Anak. And there was Goliath was one of these guys and they were big, they were tall. Now there are some very strange things on the earth and very strange anomalies and fossil remains and bits and pieces that people get very excited about and they think, oh, this is Nephilim. This is an indication of the Nephilim as if somehow if we could prove the Nephilim, then the whole Bible would be true. Listen, the Bible is true whether we can prove the Nephilim or not. The Bible is true, incidentally, whether we can prove the flood or not. And so let's just read on and we'll see where we get to. <laughs> but I think for now, I'm going to just park the idea of the Nephilim. But it does seem that there was... Um, uh, they were these guys who were on the earth and they were mighty men. It says these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Greek mythology were very familiar with the heroes and the titans and these demigods and stuff. And this idea that there has been in historical times an interweaving of God kind of beings and human beings and they've created these people with superpowers and so on it's where we get the whole kind of marvel comic idea from and it's it's great for tv and it's great for movies but really where's the truth in it there is some truth in there somewhere it behind the scenes i'm sure um so 
Verse 5, this does seem to be all linked, incidentally. Verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That is pretty grim, isn't it? Every intention of his heart, of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. It's like God's looking, and God, we know that the man looks on the outward appearance, the man looks at the giants or whatever else is out there, but the Lord looks on the heart, and God sees that the wickedness of man is great in the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's like right down to the very essence, into the core of his being, into his heart. It was just, that intention was just evil all the time. And the Lord was sorry that he'd made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the earth, from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I'm, I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Now remember, Noah means rest. And God is just so disappointed well to say was God surprised clearly not because God knows everything but God was disappointing disappointed at the um at how the human beings that he created in his own image what they'd actually done with the freedom that he'd given them and this scenario that happened is because God gave us freedom he gave us a freedom to choose in order to truly love him we must be able to choose to do that in order to give to him we must be free to give do you know what I mean so that God gave us this incredible gift of free will and choice and all the rest of it self-determination but the consequence of that had been for them to depart so far from God and their hearts to become so wicked. And yet there was one person, it seems, on the face of the earth who had caught God's attention, and that was Noah. And Noah had found favour in the eyes of the Lord. So verse 9 says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, or Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt, so we heard, didn't we, yesterday that, excuse me, Noah was 500 years old when he had Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And so he was quite an old guy um, once he, <laughs> when this story um, unfolds. Uh, so Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Now the word there for flesh, there's two words that are interplaying here. One is Adam which is man and God is looking at the man, the Adam that he made and he's just desperately sad because he sees this corruption. But there's this word here for flesh which is Bashar, and he says this flesh has become corrupted, and that's why we can get the we could go down the road thinking that the Nephilim have brought their DNA or they've corrupted the human DNA somehow, and so flesh has become corrupted 
um, in God's sight is become is is being contaminated and destroyed. Um, it means to decay, spoil, destroy, etc., etc. And so then he he says that I'm gonna it, I've determined to make an end of all flesh. It says in verse thirteen. But if you read in the bottom, it says. Um, the end of all flesh has come before me. So God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. It's like the, they've done it to themselves. They've really brought this end upon themselves. It's come before me. They've kind of presented themselves as a corrupted species. This thing that this beautiful thing that I made that I was so happy with has corrupted itself and brought its own end about and so this word therefore decay and corruption is also the word used that when God said I'm going to destroy them it's exactly the same word and it's really interesting isn't it that sometimes the um the thing that we um that that corrupts us is also the thing that punishes us in itself so sin um corrupts us but it also punishes us it carries with itself its own punishment and so um verse let's just read again now the earth was corrupt in god's sight and the earth was filled with violence and god saw the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth i just want to go back to verse three it says then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. The word there is Adam. In some uh, some manuscripts, I think, and others use Bashar, which is just generic flesh. But God's saying, I'm going to I'm not going to just leave my spirit here on the earth among these people. I'm going to withdraw. I, I'm not going to contend. I'm not going to stay here trying to make a point, uh, um, putting my spirit on people who are just going to be corrupted. So he says, my spirit shall not abide in them man forever. But then he also says, I'm going to limit their age to 120. And you wonder whether he's talking about my spirit as in my breath. I'm going to actually stop them breathing when they reach 100 years. But if we just look at that same, that, that same sense there, my spirit on all flesh is exactly what Joel prophesies. In Joel chapter 2, he says, and in after that time, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the word there for flesh is exactly the same word, Bashar. And so God, in one breath, if you can bear the pun, in one breath, God is saying, listen, I'm going to withdraw my spirit. I'm going to withdraw my breath from these creatures that I've made because they're just not living in a way that really is they're fit to carry that breath in them so I'm going to withdraw it but then in Joel chapter 2 Joel prophesies and he says you know what there's going to come a time when God will pour out his spirit on all flesh and that's what we see beginning at Pentecost and is going on right now around the world God is pouring out his spirit on into human beings like us who are made of flesh who are Bashar who are Adam we're just those ordinary fleshly creatures and yet because of what Jesus has done God is saying yeah and I want to grace you with my spirit and pour my spirit into you so on the one hand at the time of Noah we see just this pursuit of the fleshly 
kind of animal side of our be our nature just bringing corruption and death into the world and violence and just God's oh I can't bear this what I've made you know and God is just so sad by it and so grieved by it and yet there one person in there who who has found favor in the eyes of God and his name is Noah and so God said to Noah I have determined to make an end of all flesh or the end of all flesh is come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them behold I will destroy them from with the earth so I'm going to destroy flesh with the earth so there's going to come this cataclysmic event verse 14 make yourself an ark of gopher wood nobody really knows what gopher wood is it seems Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50, its breadth, 50 cubits and its height, 30 cubits. I think if you look in the bottom of your Bible, it will tell you how many metres. It's about 150 metres long, I think, something like that. 75 metres wide. Pretty big. Um... And a life's work to make it, presumably. A long time to make. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door in the ark on its side. Make it with a lower, second and third deck. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be made, they shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing, of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, we know that this was an incredible act of faith to begin to build a boat. And obviously, Noah became the subject of a lot of ridicule and so on and we'll we'll explore the story a bit more tomorrow in chapter seven good morning esther but this is a difficult story it's a story that we associate with children and play play groups and they make pictures of noah's ark and they put the animals in the giraffe sticking out the top and the little tiny boat is barely big enough to float with all these animals in it and it's kind of cute, but this is actually a really, really horrible event that's going on here. God is just so sad by the corruption that's happened on the face of the earth and the sinful ways of people. Good morning, Esther. And the way people are living is is breaking his heart. They've taken their, uh, their beauty they're made in God's imageness and they've traded that and they've had relationships with beings that they were never supposed to have relationships with and they've come up with these giant offspring and it's just God is pained 
and so he's bringing a judgment this is a this story is a story of judgment but is also a story of deliverance and mercy and God's provision and so just as Noah is there and he's pleasing God and he's found favor with God and he's creating a sanctuary by which animals and people can be saved there's it's such a powerful picture of Jesus who came, who was the only human being who has ever lived a entirely faultless life entirely spotless blameless life yeah it's pretty amazing Esther isn't it the story I'll read your comments properly because they're not all coming up um but um Jesus lived this perfect spotless blameless life and then he becomes the ark and as we come into Jesus we're saved um and able to escape the judgment that God is bringing on sin and always has and always will and so there is a judgment for sin Jesus has paid the price so that we don't have to and as we enter into him it's like this whoa we even use in the new testament this language being in Christ and as we enter into him we're saved from this ultimate judgment and the interesting thing is that the judgment they brought on themselves by choosing to reject God's ways and just kind of plunge themselves into violence and darkness and sin and so on and unfortunately the same is true isn't it throughout generation from generation to generation and it's those who are in Christ who are saved and so it's an incredible story and it's really challenging it's not a friendly cozy story <laughs> it's got it's got teeth and so Jesus now as we get on with our day we invite you to be with us and Lord as we are in you we thank you that you have saved us and Lord we pray for our friends and our families and the people that we love who don't know you yet and we pray God that you'll open their eyes and that it won't be because we badgered them to death but they will just see us living for you and they'll see something in us and God they'll listen to what we're saying but Jesus we want we want everyone, God, we want everyone on that ark being saved. Jesus, thank you for your incredible love. Amen. Have an amazing day. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him, but more than anything else that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. 
You can buy it from Christian bookshops. And, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.